Well, good morning to you, Rock Hill. Welcome to those of you in person and on land and those of you that are online. We are grateful for you joining us today. A couple of commercials as you turn to the book of Habakkuk. It might take you a second to get there. A couple of commercials. Number one, today marks the celebration of the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we would be remiss if we did not just let you know that at Rock Hill, we care deeply about those little boys and little girls in the womb that we ought to do all that we can to fight for justice for them. They are uh, those who are without a voice. And, and that's the church. The church always speaks up for those who are without a voice. That's both in the womb and those all the way to the tomb. And so I am, I do want you to know, I'm disappointed that our country seems to continue to celebrate that which they should be embarrassed by, namely the celebration of abortion. And so we're here today to say that we are valuing human life. And, and a way you can get involved in that, it, just, one, just one little way today, we, we've actually been invited uh, to participate in a uh, foster care collective. So if you're curious about foster care, Will you email us and we want to get you connected with the resources that you can understand how to be involved in foster care. That's one way you can say we are caring for those uh, in, um, in the womb but also outside of the womb. Second commercial. i got three. All right, second commercial. Uh, Wayne Heaton, one of our church members, is soon to be deployed to uh, Malawi. Now, he's going to Malawi as a missionary. Their whole family is going. Now, as you know, Zoe's place is an important ministry for us. They will not be working with Zoe's, but they'll be doing a component of church planting and disciple making in Malawi, Africa. He'll be here next week, Lord willing, and sharing with you ways in which you could partner with him uh, through prayer, uh, through sending people, but also through your pocketbook. So uh, that's three Ps. So uh, he will be with us next week. I hope you will join and pay attention to what he has to say. And then lastly, many of you are joining us online, and we take great care in that. We have an opportunity online now of online Sunday school, online Sunday school. If you happen to miss the Bible study of this Sunday, you can watch last week's Bible study. Uh, it is going to be taught by a variety of teachers. So you can go to our YouTube page. Uh, you should be able to find it by, by just searching Rock Hill Baptist Church. It should come up. You'll see our logo and you can watch. Uh, Danny Bristow two weeks ago, David Braun this week. I don't know who's next, all right? But it is just uh, choose your own adventure, but we hope you can participate in that. Now, I hope that by now you have found the book of Habakkuk. If you're new to Rock Hill, we love to work through books of the Bible. Verse by verse through books of the Bible. Now, there will be moments that we get into other avenues or maybe a topic, but when we preach on that topic, it will be done exegetically. We like to work verse by verse through books of the Bible, and sometimes it takes us a while, but that's okay. We want to hear what God has to say. And Habakkuk has been a faithful friend during these days. He's been experiencing things, or he experienced things that many of us feel like we're experiencing today. He has gone from disappointment after disappointment, and now we come to a place where he dismounts from discouragement and turns to dependence upon the Lord. He has come to a place where he observes the violence and the wickedness in the streets, he sees the rebellion among God's people. He sees the injustice in the courts, the wickedness of the government. And he comes to the Lord in chapter 1 and says, how long, O Lord, and why is this happening? That's his first prayer. And he comes to this place and God comes to him and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. 
But even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. You see, so many of us, when we are faced with problems, when we are under pressure, we begin to make plans, and then we pray. You ever done that? My instinct, and this is just my confession, my instinct that when I'm under pressure or I've got a problem, I start laying out the Excel spreadsheet, I start making an agenda, I start making a plan, I start calling, I start emailing, I start texting, I start tweeting, whatever it can, I just start making a plan. And then I come to a point to go, I better check with God about this. And every time he goes, you know, no, that's not going to work. When we are faced with a problem, we should not make plans first. We should pray, and then we can make plans. Habakkuk models this for us. He, he has a problem, and he just simply comes to the Lord and says, I don't understand why this is happening. He comes to the Lord, and he prays. Habakkuk teaches us that when we are faced with a problem... He prays before he plans, and he praises God no matter what. In fact, that's the title of the message today, is that no matter what, praise him. So if you have your Bibles, you open your apps to Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll just read the first two verses initially, and then we'll get to the end of the chapter following that. We'll put it on the screen for you to follow. We're reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But if you're there, will you say word? A prayer of the prophet of Habakkuk according to Shiganoff. You say, what is that? It's a, it's a musical term that's also found in Psalm chapter 7. He says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years, in your wrath, remember mercy. The context of this is that Habakkuk has prayed multiple times, and he comes to this last prayer, and now he begins to sing. There's a posture of praise that Habakkuk has, a posture of praise, and it's found in a petition Praise and praying go hand in hand. We have found that in chapter 2, there are these five woes that come against the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. The Chaldeans and the Babylonians, if you read them or find them throughout your Bible, it's never a positive thing. Like you don't go to your best friend and say, you remind me of the Babylonians. It's not an encouragement. The Babylonians were going to come under strict judgment from God. However, in chapter 1, God has said to Habakkuk that he was raising up the Chaldeans, raising up the Babylonians, so that they could execute judgment onto God's people. Now, why were they executing judgment on God's people? Why was God allowing this? Because God's people had rebelled spiritually from him. And this brought distraught upon Habakkuk. He, he saw externally things were on fire, but he's looking internally. He's going, we're not any better inside these walls. He says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Throughout this book, Habakkuk has not asked God to deliver him. Throughout this book, he's not asked God to create a, a rapture moment just for Habakkuk. 
You see, prayer is a conversation with God. If, if my children only spoke with me when they needed something, what kind of relationship is that? If, if my only conversation with my wife was what time is supper, how well do you think that relationship is going? I'm looking this way because she's over here. If the only conversation I have with my wife is, when's that laundry going to get folded? I don't do that, do I? No. It's a transactional relationship then. But that's not the way God operates. We don't just go to God when we need something. That's not what he's showing us even here with Habakkuk. He's saying there is a... There's a conversation that's at hand. If praying is simply a routine for you in which you do something to accomplish what you want or what you need, then you're not in the right posture of praise. My children know when I'm hungry before a meal by the rate of speed I pray before that meal. I'll pray and they will all, because they've been got the unction of the Holy Spirit will say, Daddy must be hungry. He prayed faster than the micro-machine man speaks an ad. That's dating me a little bit. <laughs> and I'm not here to cause you to feel guilty about that. I'm just inviting you to create a new posture in your prayer. You got problems? Join the club. We all got problems. 2020 was the baseline of saying we all got issues. Habakkuk's posture was of praise, but it's seen in the form of a petition. I have heard the report about you. I, I've recognized that you have done work in the past. I, I know these things that you have done. I, then he says, I stand in awe of your deeds. He steps back and realizes God is awesome. He, he is amazing. He is beautiful. He's not afraid to say, I, I'm afraid for Israel, I'm afraid for our country, I'm afraid for our nation. But he seems to step back and go, but, but when, I, when I recount all the things that God has done, I, I can't help but worship him. And notice he doesn't ask for deliverance. He doesn't say, Lord, get me out of here. He has a posture of praise to say, I, I've read of your report and I, I stand in awe of you. That's what worship should do for us is cause us to be in awe. His prayer is laser focused on God getting the glory and God getting the praise that he so deserves. Habakkuk's prayer is not hopeless. Hopelessness is when you give up. I, I think some of us are so influenced by our culture that if something happens publicly that we have very little control over that doesn't go our way, we want to pack up our tent and go inside our bunker and come out four years from now on a November. That's called hopelessness. The Christian is not one who is without hope. The Christian is somebody who has lots of hope. Because our hope isn't in our current situations. Our hope isn't in our circumstances. Our hope is in the Lord. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous one will live by his faith. 
faith in contrast to hopelessness is when you give all your circumstances, all your situation to God. To a degree, prayer is an act of faith. It's saying, I believe God can do something among our day that even if he told us, we wouldn't believe it. And prayer prevents us from trying to control the situation. How many of us have tried to manipulate God? You, you wouldn't confess to that, but you would try to manipulate God to do your bidding. And if that's the way God operated, you would be God. But how many of us have tried to come into play, to prayer with our plans and our presentations, and we have it on PowerPoint, and it looks good, and it looks fancy, and we've got all these strategies that we're going to do to create momentum and to do this and to do that, take over the world. But in reality, he says, if you would just come to me, what is your posture? It's this, it's amazing thing because he says, I stand in all of your, your deeds. Revive your work in these Make it known in these years. God, you're God. I trust you will take care of this. Can I just tell you that when you arrive to this type of posture, it's the best kind of praying. Because you're releasing control. You're releasing your agenda. You're releasing your say. We might even say that we, we come into the presence of the Lord so often and we say, listen, Lord, for your servant speaks. When instead we should say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The posture of praise is a posture of petition coming to God to say God whatever whatever comes about revive your work in these days make it known to the nations make it known to the world revive your work in these years it's a kingdom minded kingdom down praying uh, Jesus did this we've talked about that thy kingdom come thy will be done and sometimes that kind of praying can be uncomfortable because we have been engineered to pray for our wants rather than saying God Give us this day our daily bread. We come to God with all of our wants. Habakkuk cared more about God's plan than his own. He has a petition or a posture of praise, but then, but then we see the content of his praise. In verse 2, again, he says, revive your work in these years, make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Now, if we read verse 3 through 16, we would find that Habakkuk, in his own words, kind of gives a description of the most critical moment in the entire Old Testament, which was the Exodus. What Habakkuk is describing in verses 3 through 16 is the Exodus moment. He, he's talking about all that God did to save and redeem God's people. Now, now remember, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and that first book, Genesis, that word Genesis means beginnings. And we learn that God has created a world, God has created man and female and female, God has created them to be in the garden. They chose to rebel against God's great plan. They were then cast out of the garden, and they lived in struggle and strife. And then, and then we come to a point where God finds a family, and he ordains them and makes covenant with them, the, the Abrahamic family, they become the people of God. And through a series of events, if you read the rest of the book of Genesis, you find that over time they were blessed, but then they came to a place where they were in a great struggle. This family was in a tough spot, and so they go to the neighboring 
nation, the nation of Egypt. And they find favor with a man named Pharaoh. And all of God's people, that family unit, are then brought into Egypt and given food and given protection and given care. But it would only last a season. 400 years later, A change in government had taken place multiple times, and they had forgotten about God's people. And those same God's people who had had comfort and care and food and protection were now in slavery. There was no hope for them, and they were in a pickle. That's where we get the book of Exodus. Because the book of Exodus shows up, and we begin to see how God is orchestrating things to rescue his people out of the slavery, rescue his people out of bondage, and to redeem and save his people. Habakkuk is saying, I've read about this report. Do it again, Lord. I've seen you do this before. Revive it again. Make it possible that God's people could be removed from this plague, removed from this moment. Habakkuk is remembering He's reading the Bible. You realize that? He's understanding what he's reading. This is why when he says, revive your work in these years, he's recalling the great things of God. He's saying, God, you did it then. Please do it again now. He's had disappointment after disappointment. And God, he's saying, God, please revive this like you did In the Exodus. This is why I can tell the spiritual temperature of a Christian by how they're engaging in God's word. See, that's pretty judgmental. No, no, I'm I'm just saying when, when someone comes to me and they've got problem after problem, or, or maybe God feels a thousand miles away. I'm not talking about how much you read. I'm talking about how much you retain when you read. That a simple question that will come from me is, well, well how's your Bible reading? And, and I know they say, well, well I, I don't want to formulate God. Would, no, no, I'm not saying formulate. I'm just saying if, if you want a word from the Lord, you got to be in the word of the Lord. And you'll be surprised. And listen, technology today gives you zero excuse. I can't read. Someone will read it for you. And you may say, well, well listening to it through audio is, is just not the same. How do you think we got the Bible? They orally spoke it to one another. The printing press didn't come around until like the 1500s. You I'm about to preach. You have this? For for hundreds of years, nobody had this. The priest had it. Nobody else. He could read it, but nobody else could read it. He could interpret it. Nobody else could interpret it. You, You have this treasure. And it collects dust. May your Bible not be a dust bunny, but may you read it and meet with the creator of the world. So he says, I, I've read this. I've read your account. I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work and you just make it known in your wrath. Remember mercy. Listen, if, you're, if you want a healthy body, you've got to eat the right proteins. 
I was reading about how to train for an ultra marathon. The first thing it said is stop eating junk. Hey, I like junk. You give me a gummy worm, it ain't going to last long. Chips, mm-hmm. And don't give me the unsalted ones. It's been the hardest thing with COVID is they don't put salt on your table anymore or at the restaurant. Okay. But if you want your soul to be healthy, you got to read your Bible. He says in your wrath, remember mercy. It's a critical moment in his prayer. It, it is a significant moment. Now, again, in chapter 2, he is pouring out his wrath. He is declaring the wrath that's being, going to be poured out. But watch what Habakkuk doesn't say. He doesn't say, in your wrath, remember my good works. He doesn't say, in your wrath, remember how much I tithed. He doesn't say, in your wrath, remember how much I served at the, the synagogue. He doesn't say, in your wrath, remember how many good things I did for people that I didn't even tweet about it. He doesn't say, in your wrath, remember how I served the, the poor and the needy. He doesn't say in your wrath, remember how nice I was to my neighbors. He doesn't say in your wrath, remember how great of a servant I was. I volunteered every Sunday. Or remember in your wrath, my 85% attendance. He doesn't say that. He says to God, in your wrath, remember mercy. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he says, why should I let you in? Are you going to stand up and say, I did a lot of good things. I gave a lot. I got a quarterly report. I gave a lot of money to my church. I did a lot of good things. I even, I even prayed and people got healed. Oh, the famous words of Jesus in the Gospels. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things for you? But he'll look at them and say, yeah, but I never knew you. Oh, friend, Habakkuk doesn't appeal to his works. He appeals to God's mercy. Is that not what we all should appeal to? Why should you be allowed to come into this heaven that I have made? Because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Remember mercy. Is that not what he says in Ephesians chapter 2? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. There is no overdraft on the mercy of God. There is no way you can cap out on the love of God. There is no way that you could withdraw too much from the grace of God. This is the good news for us. You remember the song? He paid a debt. He did not owe, I owe a debt. I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus, what? Paid the debt that I could never pay. Hmm. You didn't just have a debt, you were dead. Several years ago, there was a famous song, Jesus Take the Wheel. 
as if you were driving. <laughs> Friend, you were in the hearse, cold, in a casket. You were dead. You were dead. Mm. Jesus didn't come to mend wounded people. Jesus did not come to wake up sleepy people. Jesus didn't come to advise confused people. Jesus did not come to inspire bored people. Jesus didn't come to spur on lazy people. Jesus did not come to educate ignorant people. Jesus came to make dead people alive. If you are not a Christian, that means you're not somebody who has admitted your sin, believed that only Jesus can save you and confessed him as Lord, then when this life is over, all you will get is wrath. But if you have confessed him as Lord, if you've declared you have sinned and fallen short of his glory and he invites you then to receive him as Lord and Savior, you don't get wrath, you will get mercy. Finally, we see a resolution of praise. Verse 17, bless the Lord. Amazing verses. Though the fig tree does not bud. They had lots of figs. That's how they ate. There were no buds on the fig tree. And there's no fruit on the vines. The grapes, no wine, no nothing. Though the olive crop, that's uh, revenue. They used it for cooking, for, uh, for anointing, but they also used oil for light. They burn it. The oil crops, olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food. That means there's, the farmland is bare. Though the flocks disappear from the pen, somebody left the gate open. There's no herds in the stalls. The cattle guard did not work yet. <laughs> yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Brookshire's is empty. Sam's has no toilet paper. Nothing is right in the world. It's on fire out there. It's on fire in here. There is no food. There's no income. There's no crops. There's no herds. There's no steak. Mm. But Habakkuk plants his flag in the ground and says, yet I'm going to celebrate. See, we like to celebrate when we win. Woohoo! We won. Habakkuk's not winning in life, but he plants his flag in the ground and says, I'm going to celebrate in the Lord, but I'm also going to celebrate in the joy of my salvation. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to love God and I'm going to worship God and I'm going to keep loving God and I'm going to keep worshiping God and I'm going to keep praising God no matter what. You can take it all, but you can't take the fact that Jesus loves me. You can have it all, 
but you'll never be able to take the joy of my salvation. You can steal it all. You can break in and burn it all, but you can't take my celebration in the Lord. The book of Habakkuk begins with problems, but ends with praise. And not because the problems went away. It's easy to worship God when everything is going great. But you take away everything and it really reveals what matters most. The prophet has come a long way. He is deeply determined to trust in the Lord. And I love that about Habakkuk. He's been a good friend in this series. But notice the last line of verse 19. For the choir director on stringed instruments. The reason why I surmise this is about praise and worship is because Habakkuk writes all of this. And he says, send it to Ed. And Ed, write a song. What's it going to go like? I don't know. Lord, I heard of your report about you. I don't know what it sounded like. That's my guess. Send it to the choir director, sing this song, and they sang. Habakkuk had a resolution to sing. Are you singing about the great things God has done? Are you celebrating in the joy of your salvation? You cannot do those things if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. But some of us do know Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we have not sung in some time. The best, one of the best gifts my dad ever gave me was that in worship, he sang. Men, the best gift you can give your family is to sing out loud. But you can't sing if you don't know him. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. If you need to talk with somebody, I'll, we'll be here at the front. We'll get you connected to a counselor or maybe today. Your invitation is to sing out loud. I'm not a good singer. Nobody cares. Sing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. In every season, Father, may we be like Habakkuk. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing to him. Lord, help us to be mindful of those in this room that are hurting through great loss, those that are online that are hurting and struggling. You are near the brokenhearted. And God, I'm asking that even now, if there is somebody who needs to trust in you, they would be so bold, so brave to just make their way forward. And then, Lord, for those of us in this room that we've just been beaten down and we need to deal with some sin, we just need to come before you on the altar and just say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I've, I've made plans, but it's time for me to bring it to you and say, God, what is your plan? What do you want to do? May we be obedient to that in Christ's name.